Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, uh, that song that played me in is called Samurai Sword. And that is from Chad Van Galen and his new upcoming album, World's Most Stressed Out Gardener, which I just really love that title. And I really love that album. And quite frankly, all his music. It's uh, He's just an immense, brilliant artist and he does crazy animation in case you didn't know his animation is also brilliant. he's just like one of those guys endlessly talented anyway that album will be released uh what the tomorrow march 19th on sub pop records you can find where to buy that in the show notes so please do buy it and chad and i talk about vinyl so buy it on vinyl even if you don't have a record player it'll be a cool piece of art to have around the house um but uh, this is a really great conversation. I'm very thrilled to be talking with Chad. And um, uh, you can't see it in the audio interview, but he made me laugh so hard that twice my headphones flew off my head, which you can see on the audio, the video version of this. And you could see the video of this on my Patreon. Uh, you can go to my show notes, themattdwire.com, uh, uh, or just my Patreon. Anyway, uh, it's in the show notes you can become a Patreon subscriber you can watch Chad and I talk he's a handsome fellow very funny uh, I'm mildly moderately normal looking uh, and enjoy uh, that audio and video on on my Patreon and also Patreon subscribers get a pin for thanks as well as uh, audio blogs I'm going to be doing this new uh, podcast that solely lives on the Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music they grew up with. There's a bunch of bonuses on the Patreon, all coming up. Go to themattdwire.com. That'll link you to everything. And uh, speaking of plugs, I also have a paid advertiser, and it's from Perpetual Doom, the rising DIY label, and they've been uh, recently announced the Doom Club, a cassette subscription series lovingly curated by the good folk at Perpetual Doom. Each month-ish, month-ish, they'll have a limited edition cassette tape from a hand-picked artist that that uh, it will be good. You know why it'll be good? Because Perpetual Doom puts out some really great music, and Lou, who runs it, uh, is a great curator of music, and he's helped actually get me some of my guests here on the show. So Doom Club members will also receive exclusive bonus items, club swag, and discounts. If you're not familiar with Perpetual Doom, I highly recommend you check them out, and that link is also in the show notes so please uh, check that out and uh, get yourself some cassettes especially if you got one of those cars i've purchased perpetual doom cassettes and i don't even own a goddamn cassette player but maybe my next car will be um have a cassette player though i kind of hope to have a newer car than that because uh 
my current car's a piece of shit. <laughs> anyway, so um, thank you very much for listening to this. Let's now get on to this uh, very exciting conversation that I had with Chad Van Gallen. Enjoy. Has anybody seen a samurai sword? I think I left it leaning up beside the outhouse. I am definitely a lucky lady luck has shone her light upon me and uh i think that's with most organisms since the dawn of everything it, it all comes down to that yeah you know you're either lucky or you're not lucky so yeah fuck man <laughs> have you felt lucky most of your life uh i've lived a very very lucky life surrounded by beautiful people and beautiful nature uh, I was born in Canada and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there is, yeah, there's, uh, you know, coyotes in the river Valley and the sun shines here upon us and it's awesome. Yeah. Have you always yeah. been sort of of that nature, grateful and aware of, uh, of your blessings or did that take some, some learning? Um, I think I learned it. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I've definitely been like humbled by the people that surround me are like living superheroes. And so I feel like I have, uh, you know, there's just the bars being set and, uh, I can't really fuck around. Those people are, un <laughs> those people are unfuckable anyways. So fuck them. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, I I can't say for a lot of people, but you know the quarantine and stuff, uh, like being forced to live in a you know an apartment has. Yeah, I, I don't know for a lot of people, but it's taught me a lot and has made me weirdly grateful of of what I have, which I I don't know if a lot of people are coming to that. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. I mean, I think, yeah. I think we're pretty hard on ourselves as a species in general. So we have to remember we haven't really been here for that long. So we're still learning. It's, and that's good. You know, great white shark. What is a great white shark? Like 400 million fucking years old. And the thing, the thing that still looks the same, like there's like, there's like things that are in on earth that have been singing the same song for a long time and they're fine. So we're just like flailing around like fucking babies with a, with a battle ax for a rattle, just like sadly, sadly maiming ourselves by accident. And then like, you know, what the fuck do you do? It's a mess. It's a goddamn mess. Yeah. But you know, there's a lot to learn. So that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. You have kids too, right? Yes. Yeah. I got two girls. Oh, me too. Uh, Oh, there you go. How old are your girls? Uh, 13 and 10, just about to turn 11. So oh, that's minor is like 10 months and five years. So it's, Oh yeah. That's a, those are horrible ages. I'm sorry for you, man. <laughs> I feel sorry. For you. I, I can't get a word in edgewise. My daughter constantly interrupts me and, and bosses me around. And I'm like, I don't know if this is who you are, <laughs> but oh, man, <laughs> yeah, she's also very I think sweet it, and funny and creative. Not to, you know, I don't want to shit talk my daughter. <laughs> no, let's shit talk our daughters, man. Here, here first things first. Uh, here this verse, uh, you know, having fucking kids is a motherfucking curse, man. It's uh no, I'm I'm kidding. It's a blessing. They're my kids are 
Yeah, like you said, with the lockdown and the schools being closed and uh, all that uh, nonsense, I was, I definitely, it definitely brought a lot of people together in a good way. And I'm just, I mean, speaking from my own experiences, I luckily get along with my family and they're used to having me at home all the time anyway. So it was no surprise. Horrible fucking teacher. I'm a horrible teacher. I don't give a shit if you, what you do with your time, as long as you're not being mean. And so I, uh, but, uh, but like you said, with your own daughter, it's just like, yeah, the way that people like who talks to me like that at the front door, you know, just get your, just put your fucking shoes on, man. I have to battle you to tie up your shoes. Like no one does this. It's not even, you know, it's incredible. Like I would have just been left but to my own devices, man, like, Hey, can't, yeah. you can't figure that out. You, you know, you wore the wrong jacket. It's minus fucking 40. Like what am <laughs> I'm not going to give you my jacket. Cause my, my skin is paper thin, you know, at least you got a layer of baby fat on you. Like, fuck. Yeah. Anyways, my dad, would... that's, that's my school. That's my school of uh, hard learning. <laughs> yeah, my wife does all the teaching. I can't once in a while I'll put, cause I, I'll be shocked that they still like, uh, teach total bullshit in American history. I'm like, really? We're still covering this bullshit. So I'll I, it's, it, it's, an, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was having a conversation with my wife's mom about this the other day and just, yeah, like history and how it's written. So fucked. Yeah. I think you have some of the same issues as America does, especially with indigenous folk. And yeah, I mean, we're starting, uh, like I said, like we're starting pretty, pretty late to sort of recognize where we live. And that was the battle that we got into. It's just like, yeah, like history is written and sure that may have happened, but who the fuck is writing it? Uh, there's no indigenous, there's no indigenous authors that were writing the history books that I was reading. Um, luckily we lived, uh, we were, our, my high school was right next to an indigenous high school. Um, so we got a, a, a bit of that history mortifying it's like fucking horrifying to uh have your family uh raped and ripped and stripped and to whittle down to uh to to nothing um and then have that passed down through the generations yeah it's it's uh we're beasts man we're just beasts demons just walking around sipping coffees oh yeah it's good it's like you know, I, where's the lens? Where's the they live lens? That's just like we're just like dripping with fucking blood and sneering and like you know what I mean. Heaven forbid we uh, we develop some sort of telekinesis. Like I'd hate to hear what everyone's fucking really thinking. You know, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Is is there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I colonial. It's like we are sort of America's sort of trying to rectify some of this, but not with the indigenous there. We still just keep fucking them over. Like we're just like, Oh no, nah, this, this oil pipe can come through here and fuck your water. Enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I live in the belly of the beast here in Alberta. We're big oil town. Um, but yeah, uh, I think a lot of people are sad about the pipeline here, but, um, you know, 
They're not still, they're not still running the train off steam. You motherfuckers. <laughs> There's not there. That, that guy's not down on the fucking railroad tracks being like, Oh, you know, it used to be steam. It used to be a lot of good jobs here until they, <laughs> until they brought in that newfangled coal. You know, it's like, fuck you, man. Like just stop making shit out of dinosaur bones. It's not that hard. We've had the technology for years. Like there'll be jobs. Don't worry. There'll be jobs. And you know what? At the end of the day, you can go home and not have black lung. Like really? I don't know, man. It seems sky's the limit. Is it? I I don't know. Everybody's looking down at their feet being like, what is this thing? (laughs) What is this? Is this a, what is this? Is this shit? <laughs> I don't get, can we, oh, sorry. No, no. I just, this I don't get why we don't have uh, electric, like the United States should have electric trains. If they had fast monorails like they do in Europe, I would never take a fucking plane. I don't like planes. I, trains I, are good I agree. You can have yeah. I mean, and just chill. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. I think maybe that infrastructure was already in place in Europe. And so, uh, they were able to sort of, um, uh, you know, like add on to it easier than in America. I don't, I don't know why, you know, that's a good, really good point. Um, they were, they were talking about putting high speed trains in between our, the two towns in Alberta that are close to me are Calgary and Edmonton. And, uh, they've talked about it. We just don't have the population that you do. So it makes more sense to me that America would be implementing stuff like that. But in Canada, you know, there's like what 20,000 of us here. So it's just like, yeah, I walk out my door and there's nobody. Like I was walking my dog this morning being like, you know, when this is like, there's nobody here. Like, and, uh, and it's so cold. I would be, why are we here? I guess that's why nobody's here. It's just, you know, it's really cold. I would deal with the cold for less people gladly yeah yeah <laughs> well people. don't tell your don't tell your friends man because uh yeah i like i like the i like it i like the vibe yeah because i know i read that you were like uh working to juggle your i guess you're pretty intensive with your work and family and and your work is that during the pandemic has that helped balance that sort of thing out or did you go more towards work uh yeah i i think i had luckily i had a lot of that figured out over the last like decade. And, um, as a musician, I was also really lucky too, that I had an animation business that, that I was, uh, that I'd been slowly sort of working on. So I was able to switch gears, um, and working from home, like a lot of my friends, you know, got sent home and that's sort of becoming an antiquated notion that you go into work and, uh, put on, civilian clothing instead of, uh, PJs. Um, yeah. And so I feel like a lot of my friends were like, man, I'm like, yeah. Right. Like how much bullshit did you buy of eBay in your first month of working at home? This is like, Oh man, have you heard of the super juicer 4,000 man? I just got one and it's like immediately broken. Don't buy one. I'm like, Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) you're going through that you're going through that um yeah so i think it was a lot it was a hard transition for a lot of people but i was already in that zone and kind of i i uh, i had i compartmentalized my day my wife works a normal job 
And so I've, I, you know, I pick up the kids and drop them off and I'm used to having my day sort of divvied up into sections and working nights and working whenever I can get an hour in is, is fine. And it's super, it's, yeah, like I said, um, there's, I have a lot of, I have a lot of family that's given me a lot of their time to support my nonsense. And, and so I feel pretty lucky again, like, uh, props to grandparents and friends and man. Were you hyper Cause you, I mean, I don't think it's a shock to you that you're, you're more creative than most people. I mean, you do a wide variety of things, which I can barely fucking do anything. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's just like, it's, it's, it's wild to me and uh, how much you can do and extremely, I mean, your animation is, uh, brilliant and i was just like were you were you was this there since like day one you were just like this hyper creative kid uh i yeah i mean i spent a lot of time with myself as a kid and i I fell in love with drawing um and like never lost that you know i i if someone asked me i'm like a i'm like a cartoonist you know um i found animation like pretty late in life um in my early 20s and uh, once I found that, I was like, it actually even music, like my music led into that. I think it was the, it was my first video, um, where, I, where they're like, Oh, we, we have to figure out like what to do for a video. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to animate that video. And then everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. And then, uh, and then I did it. And then I was like, I was like, Oh, this is like, <laughs> something that I can, you know, because nobody likes animators. Like there's a reason why none of your friends are animators because <laughs> they fucking, they're, 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 they're horrible. Like, you know, it's like, we got, we, you know, I'm always, it, we're neurotic. We, there's, there's a certain like, uh, you know, torture that happens to an individual when they have to sit down and draw like 1500 drawings in a day, you know? I like wake up and I'm like, fuck this, man. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fuck this piece of paper until there's like a hole in it, you know, and like just tack, 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 like a sewing machine. And so there's like a, you know, there's a certain economy that you need to have as a, as a, as an animator. Um, and I didn't know that like these people in these animation companies have like a hundred people on their staff, you know? I didn't fucking know that. I'm like a cave person when it comes to that shit. I just like see it and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And you know, like six months go by and I'm still like doing it. My eyes are, my eyes are fucking bleeding. My hand, I I'm going to sleep with my hand like this with the, with the pencil. I had to break, you know, I have to break the pencil off and then whatever's in there, I kind of push, I kind of slowly push it out over the evening. Um, but I've gotten to a point now uh, where, yeah, I spend a lot of time by myself. So. <laughs> With it's really healthy. It's really good. It's it's good for the mind. I uh, oh boy, I would love to have some alone time. It doesn't happen these days. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I and, and to, I'm also just lucky to like. Uh, you're so. Are you? Where are you? Outside Los Angeles, we're in a like a small city outside LA. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like. Um it's, you know, real estate isn't 
crazy cheap here, but it's not unusual to find, like I I'm in a, my garage right now in my sort of studio space. So I'm also very lucky to have that. And I realized like, yeah, you know, a lot of these people lost their working spaces. Um, so that's why I also get to come out and like have that. It's, and it's also the modern world. I'm like, I've gone from like papers, stacks of papers and shooting like overhead shots of actual drawings to like working on a tablet, uh, like a modern human, um, (laughs) that really revolutionized things. And so it's a lot more like modular now. I'm not just like, what do you mean you took that pile of papers to school? What do you mean you recycled that pile of papers like that kind of shit? Yeah. I was curious about that. Like if you, you, you're like, Oh, I'm just going to animate that, which is, uh, I wish I had that kind of confidence or courage <laughs> to be like, oh, I'm just going to do that. But did you, was there a process of how you had to figure out how to do it? Or you, I, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. The interesting thing with animation, um, was that I think I, so I'm like a stoner. I smoke a lot of weed and that combines really well with animation and morphological animation specifically. Right. Uh-huh. Cause I don't, I don't, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just start drawing. And if you draw the same thing enough over and over and over, it starts to grow itself in a really smooth, like living way. So you'll, I think you know, a lot of my early animations, you'll notice that it's just these like slow morphing sort of plants growing into like whatever, man. And I just realized that if I sat down and I drew something enough times, it's like that telephone game. It's never going to end up being the same as when it started. Right. You could try it. You can try as hard as you can to, you know, draw the same thing, but it ends up looking pretty wild. Uh, once you get to the 2000 range, you're just like, Oh shit. You know, starfish face, uh, from a dinosaur egg. You're just like, and then you just kind of step away and you're like, you know? Yeah. Cause I was curious about that. Cause you mentioned in an interview, like there's an improvisational sort of approach to your animation. I was like, how does that even fucking happen? Cause I, yeah, it kind of has to happen as a, as a, as a, as me, just as one person, because if I know, there's been a few animations that I've done where uh, I've drawn out an animatic or like a storyboard or something like that. And then it's just done. It's just done in my mind. And so the thing, the cool thing about just doing it and diving in and seeing what erupts from the nonsense is that it's like, it's entertaining for me because, you know, I'm sitting down for six weeks to work on one project or two months or whatever it is. It's gotta be, there's gotta be something in there at the end of the day for me. You know, my wife comes home and tells me all sorts of like real things. And I'm like, Oh yeah, sweet baby pterodactyl vagina, uh, into Lamborghini Countach. What the fuck was your day? You know, (laughs) she's like, well, not that, that doesn't sound good. I'm like, no, I didn't say it was good, but it was surprising. Was there, so have you always had that sort of surreal? I mean, would, is surrealistic of uh, uh, the proper word to call what you do or is I, what, what is that? Uh, am I just, uh, yeah, I would say like sci, like sci-fi. I think I lean pretty heavy on, um, like science fiction, definitely, uh, movies like fantastic planet 
and heavy metal magazine, like that stuff. Like as soon as we got heavy metal magazine, uh, in America, uh, or like North America, I was, I was, yeah. I was like, yeah, sign me up for a lifetime of this. Is this real? Like, can I do this? Is this like a thing that people are invited to do? But I think but the Europeans, the Europeans are like, we've had this for years, man. Like, <laughs> cause I, cause I feel like America was like superheroes, you know? Yeah. Like we were like, we were just like X-Men, Superman, Spider-Man. We were just man in tights and it was for kids, you know, it was for kids, but then European comics were like, like a mind fuck. It was like philosophy mixed with like fantasy, um, you know, like even just like Tolkien or like stuff like, like those vibes being sort of transposed into beautiful stories. Like, like, um, like the ankle, I always use the ankle as soon as I saw Mobius and he, Jean, Jean Giraud, was the guy that drew all the Mobius comics and he was in on the, <clears throat> on the heavy metal magazines. So some of those short stories in the heavy metal magazines were like mind fucks as, as a kid, you know, it's like seeing like a Gigi Allen video when you're not ready for it. You're just like, Whoa, you kind of put it down and you're just like, Oh, I don't feel good, but man, that was, that was like not a slice that I was ready for. Was there a connection between the heavy metal comics and the movie? Because wasn't there a heavy metal movie in the seventies that was yeah that was the same thing? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was kind of yeah. It was definitely based on that um, for sure. Yeah. But it was um, originally it started off as a comic called Metal Hurland in 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 uh, Europe, and they had a yeah they had a great run of just awesome stories and. But it was a little bit out of the, you know, pre sort of graphic novel realms. And then, you know, and then I got really into like Daniel Close and like eight ball comics and stuff, stuff oh, like yeah. that. Eight ball was, yeah, man. I'm from yeah, Chicago like the, originally and he's, he's a Chicago. And so oh, he was like yeah. a local hero to so many. Oh my gosh. Like Chicago saved me and like that whole nineties scene where it was like tortoise. I remember going to a record store searching for like, uh, like smashing pumpkins, like seven inches. And the guy at the record store, West hag, it was also my local comic book shop. Uh, and the guy that ran, it was also my soccer coach, Ben. And so he'd let me go in there and read comics. But, uh, West was just like, here's a stack of like play copies, like put that shit down, like put that shit down. And he gave me like shellac at action park. Um, it was like a Derek Carter remix record or something like that. Um, but yeah, that whole Chicago scene, isotope, uh, tortoise, um, like him, uh, all that stuff that was coming out of there was just like blew, blew my mind. He introduced me to like the greatest music of all time. Jeff Parker just released, it is still releasing like beautiful, beautiful records. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Chicago man action park what's running through the water in there <laughs> yeah action park like yes it uh yeah action park <clears throat> when I first heard that I, that and the Jesus lizard and I mean it was also uh, also oh Albini was behind their early stuff and like it was just 
When I heard that oh, stuff, man. I was like, well, I've been listening to bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. The fucking toilet won't flush. It's full of paper and mush. <laughs> like that shit. Like, yeah, I was just going off like a, like, who, like a real, like a living maniac. Like where you feel, uh, yeah, again, like you feel like you're just weren't almost weren't ready for that slice of like reality. Uh, yeah, this, man, down, like uh, all that stuff was, was just mind alteringly amazing. The quality of it is still, you know, n- not yet to be matched, you know? Yeah. Yao is a lyricist. I don't, I don't know if he gets his, but it's like, it's these dark and very just visually evoking poems almost. It's like some yeah, of the, on yeah. their own, they're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, you're taking on a whole, like, the darkest short story. <laughs> and, and like, Dwayne Dennison? Yes. Like, also just, also just amazing music backing that up. Like, you couldn't have been more lucky to get a trio that was that uh, specifically talented. Like, it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the Beatles, man. Like you couldn't, and and like Dwayne Dennison, even that Dwayne Dennison trio that came out afterwards, like you realize like he's, he's like a talented, like jazz guitar player. Like you didn't, you didn't really realize it at the time because I think Nirvana put out that split with Jesus Lizard. um, And that's what really kind of cast them into like, the, the, but, but it was too weird. Right. Like people, people were like, okay, well, this is like, this is really dark. I feel <laughs> like someone's taken advantage of me in a back alley. Like, I feel like I'm listening to like a raving lunatic, uh, but I'm, I got to meet him actually in Calgary yeah. and, and shake his hand and be like, you changed stuff. And thank you. I just, I just said, thank you. And I walked away and he was like the sweetest. He's like, I don't know, come back. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, I don't even really have anything more to say, man. Like, I, I just, I love your stuff and I thank you so much. And he was just a perfect gentleman. I'm always kind of like apprehensive to sort of approach that from a, fa- for, as a, as a fan, but he was, he is a champion yeah. of a human. He, we met a few times and then we eventually became friends because we have a ton of mutual friends, but it's like, he's the first time I met him, I was terrified. Cause I was like, what if he's like <laughs> the stage David yell and then I'm going to be in big fucking yeah. trouble. <laughs> oh but man. The soft, yeah. Just a soft spoken sweetheart and a hilarious man. Of course, man. He's like, uh, yeah, probably one, like you said, he's a poet. He's such an intellectual, uh, Yeah he set the bar very, very high. And I mean, bands like, uh, you know, like I, I'm thinking of like bands like Mets and stuff like that, that are obviously the, the heirs to that. Um, yeah, he's done. He's left his mark in a really good way for sure. Yeah. And I think Mets worked with Albini as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Have you had any desire to work with Albini? (laughs) Oh man. I mean, so, I've been to electrical audio. Oh yeah. I love Albini. By the way, I love Albini. Uh, Friends of like really close friends of mine have have worked with Albini. And I think, I I mean, I've met him. I met him in Barcelona at Primavera. And uh, like I said, I went to electrical audio. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd benefit from recording with Albini. Um, 
I'm not really that, like I find so much joy in engineering and sound myself that I don't really, and he would say the same. Like, I, I feel like his, his mentality has maybe guided me more his sort of democratic, uh, um, you know, like, uh, his outlook on like how, how he runs his life is, uh, amazing. You know, like just sign up. Where's the sign? Are you on the sign up sheet? <laughs> he doesn't even give a fuck like what you're singing or what your band sounds like. I like that blew my mind. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or, or like, um, yeah, like he just come, like he just comes at it, uh, in such a, in such a real like punk rock kind of a way. It's, it's so, uh, admirable, you know? He's just like, fuck you. Like, yeah, set up a bunch of microphones and record your stupid shit. I don't care. <laughs> He's like, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't even like your, I don't even like your music. You know, like that's probably the first thing he says to you when you get in the studio. So what do you think, Steve? Like, is it, he's like, oh, I don't listen to this kind of music. It's, it's not my thing. <laughs> like what? Yeah. He's, his, I used to work at second city in Chicago and his now wife was, Oh no way. She was the house manager. So he would come and like bring whoever he was recording to shows and stuff. And it was, and he was always super ni- Like he's super nice, but it was, it's hard not to be intimidated. Even if he's the most gracious man on earth, you're just like, uh, you're too, you're smarter than me. <laughs> you're it's like, you've, your body of work is immense. But, yeah. Yeah. And he's really unpretentious about it. I mean, he's, uh, he's one of those people. And I guess that's also what I liked about that whole scene that was happening in the nineties with, uh, a lot of that was just so unpretentious, you know, he's like, um, <clears throat> yeah. Like even just being like starting off with four tracks and working with tape and obviously Albini Albini is this sort of analog guru, but I don't think he comes at the analog guru-ness in a, like that can get very pretentious, like very quickly, right. From a, from a engineering perspective, it's like, Oh, you don't got yet. Yeah. Like you didn't use the Yuri, the LA two a, you got no LA two a. And it's like, how, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, like Steve Albini's like, how good is your fucking song? Like how, like you, you you're going to play this for me right now in my studio. Like none of, none of these microphones are going to make you sound good. Um, you know, like everybody hears, everybody hears that stuff. You know, you hear a shellac record and you're like, this guitar sounds like a fucking buzzsaw cutting through my wall right now. Like that's not going to make, you're not, you're not ever going to find that. Like he's very specific with like his own tastes. But at the end of the day, when you go there and in, in, uh, in my experience with just talking to friends that have recorded there, it's just like, you know, get your songs ready, get ready to play. And he'll just, he just does his thing, you know, whereas with me, with somebody like me, I'm like, I'm just barely getting there, but he helped me get there through being that sort of unpretentious guy that was just like, you know what, set up your studio as best you can. Don't believe the hype. If a mixing board sounds good and the preamps on the mixing board sound good enough, doesn't matter if it's a live board. Doesn't matter if it's uh, a this or that. Like just like use your ears. You know. Yeah. Who cares? Like fuck everybody. Record a shit ton of bands. Record yourself constantly, and you'll find your own little pocket, right? Because I think that's what he was doing, anyways. He was lining his walls with blankets, 
previously, you know, at a certain point, I think he like would, would hate to look back just like all of us do on, uh, what we were doing in the past. Yeah. I, I mean, his early stuff all sounds great. So it's can't, it's, I can't, I guess I can't argue yeah, with yeah. Those blankets. <laughs> the drum machine stuff. Well, but there wasn't like, yeah. Cause big black was all drum machine, right? Yeah. And I feel like uh, yeah. one of the first Jesus lizards EPs also had a drum machine. If I'm not mistaken, like very early Jesus lizard was like, yeah. Which is weird. To Cause hear. I, I've got, I feel like he got his like drum sound on like later. Like to me, when I think of Albini, it's like drums, you know, I'll never, I'll never get there, Steve, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll fucking beat you at poker, man. <laughs> Take you, you out. My headphones came off, <laughs> <laughs> but do you, <laughs> that's a first by the way. And that's, that's a, that's a hello. That, yeah. I mean like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Do you, do you collaborate at all with your music or is it all like pretty much just your, your happening? Yeah, it's pretty much just me. Um, I'm, I'm pretty like OCD and I get like, that's kind of where I get my enjoyment out of it is like, I love playing drums. I love it. Um, I love, I love the art of just coming up with, uh, you know, like when I got, I, when I started, I just had two boom boxes and I, you know, record on one, you know, whatever it was going to be, whatever would deteriorate the least or whatever would be the strongest signal. So you start out with drums, put it in, press play on the cassette, and then you rec- press play record on the other one. And I was bouncing back like that. And then a friend of mine was like, man, they make, they have like four tracks and like <laughs> eight tracks. You know what I mean? At cassette uh, that, that, that by that time in the early nineties was like cassette four tracks. And then once I got that, I was like, Oh my God, like I can, this is it. Like I can do whatever I want. And it was such a beautiful and still is such a beautiful world to me. I love it so much. Like I, I really, it really took me a lot to be able to get to the point where I enjoyed performing um, because I'm, I weigh, I way more enjoy just composing stuff and recording and learning instruments and, you know, being by myself, figuring that out in that, in that private world. And I think that's probably what people like about my stuff is that it's like a little bit more intimate. It ends up being maybe more intimate because of that, because it's presented like that, but I don't know, but I have collaborated with people in the past, um, and I will, I will in the future. A lot of the stuff that I collaborate on is probably more like free jazz, you know, or, or like improvised music. Like if I'm collaborating with people, I'd way rather be collaborating with them in the moment, you know? Right. Did, how does, do you decide, like, because you do so many things, are you like, all right, I'm going to focus on music for a week or, or does it just like you wake up and you're like struck by something that inspires music i'm just like how did how the fuck do you <laughs> like i can't decide you know what i'm gonna have for breakfast let alone <laughs> like oh i'm gonna animate or make yeah. a song <clears throat> yeah i, I kind of have a list i'll go through like a list of stuff so i'm always there there's always a project that's going on for me so um right now i'm in my little sort of animation nook right now um i spent a lot of time here and uh once I get enough frames done, 
then I'll sort of move on to the music. Um, but there's always some sort of like impending animation deadline breathing down my neck. So I try and take care of that first and, uh, and then, yeah, it is, man. It's like, it's relentless and it's really stressful. I'm sort of trying to pare down and slow down, uh, what's happening right now because, um, yeah, it's, it's just a different world, right? Like when I started making records, um, I still listen to like a record, you know, I go and buy a record and I listen to it the whole way through, you know? And I mean, I, st and I listen to whatever, I'm not poo-pooing anything else. Uh, I mean, I'll listen. I love, I love the, uh, the internet version of that where you can just listen to everything indefinitely. That's cool too. But, um, there's a certain strangeness about making something that just gets devoured like immediately on the internet. Like with this last video that I did for Samurai Sword, it was like really emotional for me. And uh, it was like a beautiful thing for me to make it. Like I really enjoyed making it and it, and it's, and it means a lot to me. Um, so to just put that out there, I almost like, you know, I almost didn't want to put it out there. Like what a horrible place to put something, you know, <laughs> it's like you make, you make this like special, like baby, like precious thing. And then you just, you lay it down into like a bed of shit and razor blades. You're just like, good luck out there, little buddy. Like, I think it's a water slider. It used to be a water slider at some point, you know, I think you can slide right down. I think it's fine. It's like, no, no, you can't. It's uh, you know, it's like a horrible, at least in my mind, like I, I feel, but I'm, I'm like, you know, 43 years old. So I, I feel like I don't quite, uh, understand it or have a grasp of it or things used to just last longer, you know, and maybe that's, and, and that's fine. Like, um, these sort of precious objects maybe weren't so precious to begin with, but, uh, you know, you get, you get like, you, you know, you pick up, you pick up the record, you get the special record and you bring it home and it's like this important thing and you listen to it on repeat. I'm I'm like now I'm just sounding like an old man. I but no, it's better because I have like a gazillion tunes on my computer, but it's like it's no fun to f search through those and try to find what you like. No. It's just it's un it's just wrong. It's not we shouldn't live this way. <laughs> it's like I like flipping and holding and like reading. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's how you find those people. Like that was the discovery. You're just like, who's like who is Steve Albini also recorded this? And he also, you know what I mean? Like it's that list of things and like the liner notes and the, that kind of stuff that you don't, that you don't get really exposed to. Um, that's sort of missing. But like, like I said before, I don't know if the expectation of that being, you know, this, this thing that lasts forever is unrealistic. I think, you know, we've only been purchasing music for what, like a hundred years now. So it's not that old to begin with. I, I don't think like commodifying that sort of yeah, experience. I, I feel like there's been a, a reason that records came back f with such popularity because I feel like, I think people got tired of not having something tangible to hold. And I, I've, you know, I've made this point before, but it's like, to me, it's like you want 
music is uh, emotional and this, and it can be nostalgic as well. Like there's stuff I like that's terrible, but it has a, a nostalgic moment attached to it. So to have that and enriches that nostalgia and memory and maybe I'm that's not everybody, but that's how I feel. And I feel like that's why it's had a resurgence is that people yearn for that. Yeah, the art and the art too. Like that's like big art. It's like a big physical object to get, you know? And so, yeah, like, um, getting introduced to like Sonic Youth is really good with that. Just introducing people to like amazing artists and, uh, through like, yeah, beautiful album art. And, um, yeah, it was a whole, it was a whole, it's a whole experience really, you know, from, from making, from anticipating it to, putting it on and, and looking at it. Um, yeah. And it's going to survive. Like it's also, it's also just really robust. Like it's just badass. It's like fucking burly, you know, <laughs> like, like that shit is awesome. You know, I, I put on, I put on a, I put on a record from, I don't know. I just got a stack of like old Indian, like Bollywood records. Oh, that's great. That, that, that my, uh, uh, my father-in-law found out the back of this storage locker that somebody just like forgot about like a hundred, like a hundred beautiful Indian records. And, uh, a lot of it's like total party music. Um, and, uh, but a lot of, a lot of it's really fucking old, right? Like, and this stuff, you put it on and it plays, plays the same as it did the day that it was pressed. So it's like bury that shit in the ground. And it's just, a it's just a nice document, you know? Yeah. It's probably, it's fucking poison though. You know, <laughs> like every time you press a record, you're basically, you know, fucking your mother. So that doesn't, that doesn't feel very good either. So, uh, we'll all, we'll all, you know, we all feel the pain of that. Yeah. I don't know if this needs, there's just a quote from you that I, that really stuck out to me. Uh, the moment a song is born is the most authentic aspect of music making. And I don't, I don't know if that needs to be added to, but I just found that like a very, it stuck out to me. You I said, said that? that you said, that. okay. <laughs> Wouldn't it be um, great if I was just making up quotes and seeing if, I... <laughs> yeah, that would be, that's a good show. So, uh, so I'm going to quote you. I found a quote that you said about, uh, yeah. Um, there's only one place in the world, uh, <laughs> where do you can still get away with bestiality and uh that's the netherlands and so can you elaborate on that quote <laughs> it's like that would be a fantastic show just like ambushing people with insane shit i i mean yeah that's and that's why uh you know that's why i've sort of engineered my space to be like private like that like i lo- i really i love that moment it's it's like a it's an adventure that i'll never get sick of. And, um, it's amazing that it doesn't even really like, I get bummed out about lyrics all the time. Lyrics are just like really, really hard for me to write. And, uh, but, but that process of writing a song, uh, where that just sort of does happen. Um, it's not even like, it's not even like I'm thinking of it in the moment. Um, and that's, what's so magical about it. It just kind of happens. Like when, when you get those magic moments where you don't have to force it and it just sort of happens, that's where, 
that's where I'm trying to get with, uh, like having my own private space where I can feel comfortable, uh, emotionally where I can get to that point. Like, I don't know if I could ever go into a studio. I could, I could, if I, you know, written the songs and rehearsed the songs and then I go into the studio and I perform it. So Albini, uh, don't worry. Like, <laughs> I know, I know you love my stuff and I know you've just been like, damn, I could just get Van Galen in here. But, uh, but I love capturing the moment that the song is being written. I love, I love capturing it within the first like minutes of its creation. I find it like way more important than any sort of fidelity or like what microphones you're using or any of that. If you set up live mics and you sort of improvise like similar to the animation and you set yourself up with an environment where it's going to capture that, I feel like it's so much more beneficial to people to feel the honesty of that moment and see that, like, um, you know, authenticity of that moment and, and the vulnerability of it is just like, uh, it's like intoxicating. And you can hear it in stuff like Daniel Johnston and you can hear it in stuff like... Um, I, I, I don't know, like even, even like Nirvana demos or like stuff that's like insanely popular. Um, and you can hear it in folk music, you know, like all these American folkway records, you can hear that. And it's like, it moves you, you know, whereas it's like, I, I know like ABBA moves me too. That's fucking spectacular. I can't believe they did that, but, but I'd rather hear somebody just like riffing on, uh, on their life. Is there, is, I feel like death is a common theme in your music. Do you, would you agree with that or am I, cause yep, I'm, I'm, death, sure. I'm death obsessed myself. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm just it's healthy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I mean, maybe is what, why do you think that is something you explore so often? Yeah. Um, I kind of use it as an easy way to get out of my own mind um, yeah, uh, like contemplating the end to, of yourself or like the end of people that you love is like, I don't know, as traumatic as it sounds, it's just a good way to sort of get outside of it and, um, and appreciate the stuff that is here. You know, I feel like, yeah, just having family members and friends like pass and dealing with the sort of surrealness of that, just coming to an end with no real, like it, uh, obviously it has an explanation. It's just like an organism coming to meet its own demise, but you know, there's other things that happen after that. And there was a lot of things that happened before that. Um, so yeah, putting the emphasis on, uh, the, the living moment can get kind of tedious. Whereas imagining, uh, a story outside of that moment, uh, suddenly becomes like magical, if that makes any sense. I think so. Um, it's like the same way, uh, same same thing with science fiction. Like I really, you know, like imagining life after, you know, life is uh, is just as equally as fantastical. Like anything can happen. It sort of opens up. It sort of open like it's a way. It's not. It's not real. It's surreal. And so yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, surreal, uh, images come out of that. Yeah. It doesn't, it, death doesn't seem to be a very popular Western 
thing to deal with. <laughs> it's like, we're like yeah, no, and no, no. also we're, yeah, we're not, we don't really have a, 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 a good vocabulary built around that. Um, it's like, it's always looked upon as this sort of traumatic end, you know? Yeah. I always thought it, there was a George Harrison quote when John Lennon died and he said the most upsetting thing to him was, is that he didn't get to prepare for it, which I, cause he's a, you know, Harrison's a Krishna, but that always like stuck with me. Cause I was like, most of us don't think of preparing for death or, and we, I think Christianity has made it sort of a, heaven is like a materialistic thing. It was like, Oh, we'll deal with it later. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point for sure. I think, um, yeah, our relationship to it is slowly changing. Like my, my father got assisted suicide, uh, in BC, um, four years ago now, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely a a turning point in my life. Uh, like having somebody die in your arms and, uh, and seeing, and seeing like the life, and seeing a creature, you know, living one moment and then, and then dead the next moment, somebody that's that close. Um, and, and, uh, and because, you know, in that moment, there was like an, there's like an envelope to it almost. It's like, there's a tapered edge, right? Like if something's coming into existence, it must have some, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that I know, but it seemed like there was some sort of a taper like coming into it. And then it seemed like there was like a taper going out and it was just, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a wild, it's a wild ride. I, I, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I was also in my father's presence when he passed and it was, uh, it wasn't an assisted suicide, but still I under, so that's a lot to, be a part of and so i i don't but you see it like you said like you know yeah. your father you saw your father alive one minute and then you know and it's like did you get to spend time with him after he was after he'd passed or um yeah my family he ended up on life support so my family you know gathered around the bed and uh they shut it down but so it was like you know i mean it's and i was 13 so it was like that probably the moment I became obsessed with death because it's a, a lot to fucking see as a 13 year old. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so wild. Uh, yeah. And, and so because of that, you know, uh, I feel like it opens up a lot of, uh, um, possibilities, right? Like where do they go? Like what happened, you know, like where were they when they were even here? Uh, you know, like they are a living memory with like, you know, my dad is still talking to me in my head. Like I'm still having conversations with him actively, you know, but that's just me. And so it definitely, uh, it definitely like broadens your horizons or it's broadened my, uh, you know, uh, the way that I think about how all of us live and how everybody lives within us, you know, like we're having this conversation right now and I'll live with this conversation and that's real. That's like a living thing, you know, like a living memory of somebody I feel is, uh, an interesting thing too, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I just, you know, I I had not unresolved, but like I didn't understand my father until I became a father, which was 
interesting. And I was able, I think through that, I was able to, um, I guess, put some closure on things. I don't know how to, I don't even know how to articulate it, but like I was able to understand my father better once I sat where he was sitting, I guess is what is, you know, his frustrations, what it's like to be responsible to a family, to struggle with money, you know, those kind of things. I never understood I just thought he was a pissed off old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. So interesting. Like the way that it compounds like that too, you know, like your father superimposed on your mind and you being a part of that. And then, yeah. And then sort of coming back to that reality of being his son and, and dealing with that stress for sure. I, I feel the exact same way I would, uh, I would say, yeah, like it's once you're a dad and uh, you're sort of put into those shoes, it gets pretty real pretty quick. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Now I understand why I need to drink these beer right now. It's the only thing that's going to save me is this six pack. And you know what? Yeah. All right. And you guys have good beer up there. Uh, we got pretty, we got pretty good beer up here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You guys got good beer down there as well. Yeah. Well, like my little town has a couple breweries now, which is nice, but, uh, I used to drink a lot of, isn't Moosehead a Canadian beer? That's what I drank in high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, beer around here is, I guess like, well now, now everything is opened up. So we're getting all these like delicious, uh, micro breweries and stuff like that. Is that going on in LA? There's a lot of like... Yeah, my town has four microbreweries, which is crazy. I, I think they... Wow, they, yeah. And it's like, this. it's a small city. It's not like some hip happening little town. It's not like Portland. So it's like, but it's great. But th- when I first moved here, I was like, four breweries. And then I quickly couldn't fit into any of my shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, man, right? Oh my God. Yeah, it's uh, it's... It's getting pretty, it's getting pretty, uh, wild over here. I drank a lot. I, I did drink a lot of beer. I've definitely cut back just because of that exact reason. I don't need like 70,000 calories, uh, surging coursing. It's like, you know what I need to animate to sit down all day, like a hundred beers a week. (laughs) Yeah. That's, uh, um, but yeah, I, uh, So where did you grow up? Uh, My childhood was spent outside of Chicago and then from my mid-teens. Oh, right. For like 30, I lived in Chicago proper. Uh, So So you've been exposed to good good beers. Yeah, and Chicago is, I mean, there's any neighborhood I lived in, there was a tavern on every corner. Like it was just being a drunk in Chicago is the easiest thing. And I was like drinking in bars in high school. (laughs) Like no one gave a fuck when I was a kid. Like it was crazy and great. (laughs) Right. Yeah. If it wasn't for booze, I'd still be a virgin. That's pretty much how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, I mean, imagine being a virgin though. That might, that, that would be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be a 50, 52 year old virgin. That would be pretty great. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything that I, I, in, I plug everything in the show notes and in the intro, is there anything that you would need to, in addition to plug or we're all good. No, no. Yeah. Um, well, I th- thank you very much for your time. I love the new album. They sent it to me early and it's, it's great. I don't, I know we didn't necessarily talk about it, but 
Oh man. <laughs> but I mean, I, 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 that's, you know, to tell you the truth, it was a breath of fresh air. Uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I yeah. try to, yeah, I just, I plug it and then I try to find other avenues to discuss besides, you know, you do a gazillion of these things. You gotta, so I, and so do I, so I want to try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just have a conversation. <laughs> Canadians are funnier than Americans. So I just need to say, I say that to I, oh, yeah. <laughs> Alex and I uh, from Mets got into a talk about that. And I was like, John Candy, oh, man. John Candy and Martin short. There's two of the, the, no one's funnier than those guys. Oh man. Bless John Candy. Yeah, for sure. Canadians are pretty, you know, there's uh yeah. Yeah. We, we are just what we are. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. It's no big deal. Oh, and Rick right? Moranis. I, I, Rick Moranis is also like those three and Dan Aykroyd. Do you, there's no, and uh, Gilda. There's like, those are the funniest yep. people to ever fucking walk to, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Jim Carrey. And now I'm just trying oh, to think right, of Jim like, Carrey. uh, Canadian comedians. And, um, uh, there's a, there's a lot. Letter Kenny is a big show. Like with my friends. Yeah. Um, is, I've only seen parts of it, but it's great. I, what, what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, Oh, I mean, we were talking about Chicago and like, yeah, now we're talking about SCTV, but like Don Cavallaro, man. Oh yeah. Fuck. I, I need to revisit that. I used to, have... that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a rip in my psyche. When, once I got that first, I don't know if it was American. No, it wasn't American Don, but it was, uh, that first Don Cavallaro record was like, yeah, couldn't go back after that. It was wild because a lot of that Brainiac. Stuff, were you a Bra- oh, are you a Brainiac fan? I found Brainiac late. The documentary about them is really fascinating. I, I, you know what? I still. I, my friend Vish was like, "If you haven't watched that documentary, it is so good." And so it's definitely on my list. Uh, you, you loved it though. Yeah, and I for somehow like I was late to getting to them, and when I heard them, I was like, "How the fuck did I miss this?" Because it was like that is exactly what I was into in the nineties. And I thought the Chicago yeah. music scene in the nineties, like there was a lot of great stuff going on around the country, but I was like, it seemed to not follow the trends as much as the other cities. Like they pretty much did their own, like uh red, red meat and Califone, like those guys. And like you yeah. said, Portis, it was all its own. Oh, and I was going to mention to you just as a, cause you mentioned improvising. There's like a wild, great improv music scene in Chicago with like guys. Like, oh, and, well, I'm yeah. I'm sure like, you know, like Ken Vandermark, yeah. you know, Vandermark at oh, all? Oh yeah. Yes, for sure, man. Vandermark, all that stuff like, uh, ruined me. And I mean, Sunra, like, I don't know, like Chicago is as deep as it gets as far as like American jazz music and like rock music. It's, uh, it's where all the best music came from <laughs> for sure. I, I want to like go. It's so, it's so deep with, uh, into that, but yeah, like for sure, like Vandermark, very muscular. Uh, I was definitely more into like his side projects than the Vandermark five, I think was the, yeah, that was, I think he's, uh, or that's when I came on board. Like I used to see him at a coffee yeah. shop like 94 and it was like five bucks and you just bring a six pack and it was like maybe yeah. 12, 15 people. And it was just like, and blistering dude, he'd show up, but I've seen him a few times as fucking brush cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just like in like, you know, like ruptured fucking just the stage was just blood vessels, man. I was just like a bunch of looked like a bunch of worms on the ground afterwards. Like, fuck man. Uh, 
very, very like intense. Every time I've gone back to Chicago, I've wanted to, cause he'll curate nights and there's a, in, and I, ju- I just want to go see those improv nights cause it's just insane. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's done this show twice and it's just like, he's another one where it's just like your, your brain is on a whole nother fucking level. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah. It's like you won that MacArthur genius award for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating, man. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, th- well, thank you very, very much. And I'll, uh, I'm, I'll have uh, Becca at Sub Pop let you know when this goes up and, and I really enjoyed it and no one has ever made my headphones fall off once, let alone twice. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, <laughs> there should be an award for Get that. ready. Get ready. <laughs> All right, my friend, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Bye. Take care. You too. Bye. Has anybody seen a samurai sword? I think I left it leaning up beside the outhouse. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with the Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with the Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.